Good morning and welcome to Smash Out Recovery. Morning, gents. Good morning. And how are we all? That's pretty non-committal, isn't it? All wrong. All right, not bad, not bad, good, not bad, good. Yeah, no, it's very non-committal. Very, I'm not going to say very much. There's nothing to happy choice and free. He says through clenched teeth. Yes, we are, we are, we are. I've got here on in one piece. And well, you got here. Yeah. So um, many before you have not made it. All right. We've had many invisible members, haven't we, Ronnie? Plenty of those, yeah. My week, I've just had to think about what's going on in my week, and I've had to think about whether I want to disclose to <laughs> all and sundry. Right, air you washing, Ronnie. Huh? Air, air washing. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, there's someone else first. Let me, <laughs> let me think about how I'm going to say it. <laughs> Ronnie's implied now that he's got something to say. <laughs> Oh. Got some deep, but to be fair, it. someone else could go first and yeah. then we can build a climax up to what he's got to say. I've been at college doing cycle mechanics, which is really good. Is that so you can do stuff with your bike or is it with a view to doing something with bigger? other people's bikes? So I'd like to become a cycle mechanic and do Oh, that. right. Uh, mutual friend. He, Neil? Yeah. He's got an idea of, uh, of a project to take the bikes off police that haven't been claimed and then do them up and give them away to people that could make use of them. So it's, that's the aim. I'm doing stuff with the cycle club already, right. over in Chelmsley Wood, and maintaining some of their bikes over there. Because we take people out on rides. Also, we've got like a separate cycle club. We do like big rides. We're riding back from Cambridge in a couple of weeks to raise some funds for a trip that SIAS are doing for some other service users. But also, I adore bikes. I've got two bikes myself, and it's cheaper to maintain them. Something that I never had the confidence to do before. Yeah. It was only a Furcroft course, like adult education course, but yeah. it was really like in depth. We ended up doing like MVQ level two stuff while we were mm. there. We'll get accredited for it, but we won't get certificates and not all the full stuff. But it was brilliant. Through another cooperative in Sturchley called the Birmingham Bike Foundry, and they were the guys that were teaching us. They're extremely knowledgeable. That's what my street, that sort of stuff, right? Like, community projects and is that what this is going to be the doing up the bikes and doing yeah yeah is that going to be a social enterprise yeah so there's a couple of lads on the course they're involved with an organization called active well-being society one of their cycle hubs is next to a doctor's they prescribe people bikes but you can get a bike on prescription which that's, is like that's nice <laughs> it's incredible that, isn't wow it? So, yeah, just getting involved with stuff like that. I might see if I can get some voluntary work with those guys, just working on bikes constantly, because it's just, it's just standard bikes you work on. My bikes aren't really that standard. I'm still picturing the conversation of patient and doctor. <laughs> yeah. And the doctor's saying, I'm going to prescribe you a bike. <laughs> what? I thought you were going to give me some meds. No, you're getting a bike. <laughs> yeah. I want some benzos. No, you're getting a bike. <laughs> getting a bike. Yeah, all right, I'll sell it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I brought my bike back from Wolverhampton and I've used it once. It's unsafe. That's not rideable, is it? It's a bit unsafe. The front brake's a bit dodgy. And if I'm cruising around, especially in this new address I've moved to, the roads are a bit faster, more Main Street, Birmingham. So I don't want to be risking it. Like Some lad tried to fix it in the dry house. There's <laughs> some newcomer and he put me in one. And then later, when I eventually it didn't need touching my bike jeans, just to get to the local gym. He's turning around, he goes, can I use your bike, like, and 
someone else comes to me and says, that was the reason why he was fixing it for you. Know? <laughs> he was, yeah, what's yeah. in it for me? Yeah. <laughs> Motives. Do you know anything about bikes? No, no, but I'll do it. <laughs> then three days later, can I borrow your bike? Yeah, and then someone says, he's always on cash converters with it. <laughs> <laughs> he's brand new in. I'll put a lock on him and put yeah, him yeah. in that bedroom where you put your bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea, man. Yeah, yeah. I locked yeah. it. He went into one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but think you didn't get these bikes off the police and then I can imagine somebody riding around on the bike and then some lad saying, that's my fucking bike, some thug, mm. and stealing it back off him. I think they would paint them before. Mm. They're bikes that aren't claimed and I don't think they're going to be like orange or your treks. Or the thing your... is, they won't be owned because what the police generally do, and they do it with cars as well, is they auction off stuff that's sellable. Yeah. You'll be getting the ones that aren't obviously sellable. Yeah, They're yeah, not yeah. going to be things with all the hydraulics and God knows yeah, what else. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be fairly basic to yeah, begin yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. When I worked in the hostel, the police used to do that for us once a year because we had about 17 guys in the hostel. Mm. And the nearest job centre is in the next town, like five miles over. And that's mm. where the job centre, probation, CGL, all those services that you need for people who are homeless, they're all in the next town over. Yeah. And people couldn't afford train tickets and stuff regularly. Oh yeah, so I remember you mentioning would, that before. Yeah, the police would yeah. come over once a year with just a load of bikes. They were all marked and everything as well, so they've got all the serial numbers and frame numbers and stuff. And they would come over and just say, these are all yours, and give us a list of the frame numbers. And then the guys would just do them up and use them whenever they needed to. If no one owned yeah. them, they just belonged to the hostel. But then when someone moved out, we would say, well, you can take one of them with you because they're going to be replaced. Going back to the bike thing as well, about the um, well-being society, there's a couple of hubs spread around Birmingham. I think you have to go through mind to be referred to them, through mental health, obviously your doctor first, then mind. And now they do the biking out for, what do they call it, a small leaf park, bike tennis and road and that. So that's a good way to get a bike for free, not really. And they've got well-being groups mm. and they go around doing them well-being groups. They do various activities in there. They've got like a gym as well. And then I've seen like the one was going quadding and then the other guys, there was in a race car with that active well-being society. That one was the Ward End hub, I think. Yeah, near the Allen Rock, Washwood Heathway. By the fire station, that's it. There's a Wheels. Fire. Yeah, you can find all that out through Mind, Birmingham, which are really good. That's how I started off, really, with my recovery. Once I'd done my 13 weeks of groups, Paddy told me, one of the guys, I'm sorry if I mentioned names there, but one of the guys, he said, I did well there. And we did anxiety, depression, and we did drawing, craft. And it was a real good introduction for me. And then, because I had a programme as well, and I was doing work, I started healing, really good. That was creative supporting Yardley. Really good, like, that's where I started my foundation. It's really important to mention that because a lot of people come out of a treatment process and they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And they're hearing all these things coming from anyone and everyone and the dog and the man down the street and the postman and you've got no idea what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You also don't know what's gonna work for you. And if you just listen to everybody else and don't think at all, you can end up doing something you really don't want to do. Yeah. You can end up rushing into volunteering when you're not ready. You can end up thinking, oh, I'll start doing this and make some money on the sly. You can end up rushing into thinking, no, I need to go back to work, I need to move out. There's so many traps ahead, and actually, it's not so much that you need to be doing something specific, 
you need to be doing something that helps you at that particular time. And if you find something that helps you at that particular time, whatever it is, stick yeah. with it. Because it may not be something that you ever saw yourself doing. Mm -hmm. But you might find that two, three months later from having done it, you're suddenly ready to tackle the world in a way that you weren't before. Well, I was creating a foundation with my anonymous fellowship. I thought I'd start at basics with my mental health as well. And that's what I did. And I've gone back. I went back to it like after three months. So I dropped back on it. And I actually did a lot of activities. And all I did was like gardening on a Sunday for Acox Green in Bloom. That was the first high street. They gave me food. Well, yeah. I paid for food and I shopped at. And I got on with a couple of the shopkeepers and that. I had a laugh with them. And yeah, one of them wanted to get me on a dating. <laughs> he, had a, he, he had a dating file like he said if you match he goes you have to pay me hundred pound power for you do and if it like if it lasts like, so we like that what the <laughs> fuck get, sounds to me like a get, fucking pimp get like feedback he was secret pimping and uh, fruit and veg shop I bet mean, he does loads of other services as well yeah, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah, room right. out the back where he claims oh yeah we do this yeah we do that yes we can counsel your vegetables yes we can do reiki yes we can do acupuncture <laughs> the, the, the icock screaming bloom he's probably got like the icock screaming bloom dating service as well <laughs> Matching up random people who come in to buy potatoes. <laughs> I forgot his name now. I call him Galmez. He calls me Top Jolly. That's what he used to call me, TJ. Here's a list of women who also bought potatoes. <laughs> Would you know. like to try some of her potatoes? <laughs> she could try some of yours. For £100 each, you can swap recipes. You've matched because you bought the same veg. Yeah. I think it's all the more important to mention on here, of course, because we do specifically address early recovery, that it's not so much about what you're doing, it's about the fact that you're doing something that feels productive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that you commit to in a certain way. And we have these really fucked up, skewed ideas about commitment. And we spend whatever X number of weeks in a treatment process where our heads are flying around all over the place and they're mostly up our arses. And then you get these people that will come out of treatment and suddenly start writing down their weekly programme, most of which involves recovery avoidance. Mm. <laughs> it involves going to the gym, it involves mm -hmm. going shopping, it involves going to meetings, tagging along with everyone else, because then you can tick a box. And before you know it, they've done three months of that and you wonder why they've relapsed. And then you get the people that will quite openly and honestly say, I don't know what to do. And on some suggestion, we'll go off and do something that has no certificate at the end, that has no job training at the end, necessarily, no specific obvious goal that's financial or work-wise or anything like that. However, what it achieves is to give them the confidence to go back into the world. Yeah. Because it's a very short time we spend in treatment relative mm. to the amount of time we spend drinking or using. And we don't necessarily realise that a lot of us do need that. I do a welcome group in the service that I'm in and, and I'd make a point of this you're only here for 12 weeks in terms of treatment you live in the dry house for longer you can stay mm. there for sort of two years but the actual groups only run for 12 weeks and the first six weeks are probably going to drag a little bit the second six weeks are going to go so fast they'll make your head spin and if you get to the end of 12 weeks and you've got nothing in place you're going to end up sitting in a dry house 
going mad, not knowing what to do with your time. And you get a few people sitting around in the living room together who've done no recovery, really, and have got mm. no plans. It's just a recipe for disaster, and they end up taking each other back out the door. I keep reinforcing the fact, first six weeks, you need to get your meetings sorted out, so mm. you've got set meetings every week, and extras if you want, branch out. But you need to have a set amount of meetings. You need to be getting a sponsor and getting into the work and stuff like that. But then you need to have some outside activities as well, some leisure stuff. Because it can't all just be yeah. recovery based, it can't. I did hobbies like, you know, I did mosaic. I did the boxing. Well, the main reason why I did the boxing was because I come to my recovery association six months clean. So I was nine months clean after the groups and I developed pre-diabetes and high cholesterol. So I did the boxing, but the boxing started giving me a headache. It was just regimental. And I thought, this ain't now good for my recovery. It was giving me headaches, the exercise was as well. So my body hadn't been used to me. I got down to a weight and yeah, I did it like, and Colin Bam was out here smashing the bag like. That's when I went back again to the mental health. I don't think I'd have understood my recovery and my mental health if I want to step back and even the activities. I can't think of them all now, there was a couple, but it was mainly. I needed to get through step work as well and balance the mental health. What I'm trying to say is that it doesn't matter how fast you recover. So if I'd have jumped into voluntary or jumped into something where I had to do it every single day and it was like flat out maybe four, five to six hours, then I don't think I'd have had time to read my literature. I don't think I'd have had time to do my step work. I'd have been more tired at in meetings. So I had to look at the tiredness and my sponsor turns around to me and said, before you do any anything like that, because you've got to learn how to recover, and like now, two years later, well, I've moved to a third stage dry house now, another location, another association, this association, this building I'm in. I thought I'd be further along, I thought I'd be in my own flat and all that stuff, but I've gone back to a blank page again, moving mm. to this place. I'm not a total blank page, obviously. Got through a, a wicked log, step four. Everything in it, all the emotions and everything. But... I don't think with that step from I don't know if I could have gone to work and done it. I needed to like sit there and f I probably overfelt it. Because they say sit with your feelings. I think I sat with them a bit too long. But then on the other hand, I heard a guy say the other day, he said, that's what I had to do. And then obviously that's what I must have had to do. And I must have, because I did it and I day use. Mm. You know, there was a couple of bad behaviours. I can't share the one after the third step. The God step or the God of your understanding step. <laughs> that was funny. I picked up a white keyring like. Well, I didn't use drugs, but I felt used. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> used and abused. Time to read. The sponsors out the car driving down the road after a meeting. Going, You're making me want to fucking use. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's good. You might as well chuck your one, two, and three out the window. Chuck it in the bin. <laughs> if your behaviour's making your sponsor want to use yeah. it's real yeah. problem, sadly. There is an issue. <laughs> I don't know if I've got it over the top there. But. I think going to the main point, I think, is that by doing these recreational or volunteer or whatever it is, things, as well as doing meetings, this learning how to recover, it's also about finding a balance that we don't really know how to find. Mm -hmm. For me to be able to reflect in any way on what I'm doing, which is something that I was incapable of for a considerable period of time after I went through treatment. I have to be doing a balanced set of things during the week, and that means that just going to meetings isn't going to cut it. Mm. 
just obsessing about something like the gym or shopping or whatever I've found isn't going to cut it. Some combination of things is what's going to cut it with spare days somewhere and having some kind of balance. And that's why I think we need to grab those things that don't necessarily look like they've got a finite result, but that actually are about us improving our chances of maintaining recovery in the long term. I think it can be quite overwhelming, but you build these things over time. It's a very short period of time. But you just pick one thing, you're like, oh yeah, right, so you sort your meetings out, you get yourself a sponsor. That doesn't happen in a day. Mm-hmm. Getting a bit of recreational, because that's all social as well. Your social is really important. You get that in the meetings, you build your confidence. Absolutely, because we're not social when we're sitting in a room. Smoking crack. Smoking crack or drinking yeah, quite yeah. frightening. Yeah. There's nothing social about that. We put up barriers. But actually, we start doing that during treatment. Why didn't we think of that? You know, she's anti-social, yeah. anti-social behaviour. Because if we removed yeah. ourselves, like I used to do anyway on the street, but if we was just like sitting there in the street smoking crack, sitting at a nice table like on a street corner. You know? <laughs> 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 Waiter comes out and brings you. <laughs> I've got a menu. Mars bar stuff, isn't it? Work, rest, and play. Finding that balance and work being recovery, if you like, yeah. as opposed to a kind of employment. But also accepting that some things take time, and, yeah. and like you said, it's different for different people. When I read that, my sponsor it gave me my step four to write, and I said to him, "How long should I take to do it?" And he just went, "Well, are you working at the moment?" I was like, "Well, no, I lost my job because I read that thing. I didn't fucking treat it like your job." get up in the morning, start writing it. Now have your breakfast, start writing it, take a tea break, go back to it, have your lunch, go back to it. He said you can write a step four in a day. And I did, that's how I did it. But it's not necessarily good for everyone. But that wasn't the first one that I'd done. The first one that I did, I kind of umbernard over it for quite a while. I found it much more effective to do it that way. But then that's the other crooks thing, is that, yeah, we go into treatment, and yeah, I know I did it, the setting up barriers within the treatment context. No, I'm not going to say that in here, or no, I don't trust that person, without any rational reason. I was doing that in treatment, and I knew I was. But in order for us to go through a recreational process, like you just described, where you're doing all sorts of different things, I've got to be willing to listen to someone suggesting that to me. If I come out of treatment and I'm prepared to be open-minded enough to look at anything that might help me recover, then I will end up doing things like that. Whereas if I'm hell-bent on not listening, I'm probably fucked anyway. If all we get from treatment is a step one and the willingness to be honest and open-minded, then that is enough. Because it will actually get you into something that's going to help you recover. I see it all the time. I see people who've already decided, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I was extremely lucky to have the guy that worked in our organisation to facilitate the groups that we did. Because... If he hadn't said the things that he said to me, I wouldn't be sitting there, I'd be back out there now. It really opened my mind to a lot of stuff. Essentially, it allowed me to take some personal responsibility for my actions, because I was always blaming other people. And that's one thing he said to me. After a few weeks of doing groups, he'd go around and a lot of self-pity was coming out. And he was like, you're always playing the victim era. If anyone else had said that to me, they would have got a slap. Um, (laughs) But he put it in a way and he dug deeper. He wasn't being mean or nasty. He was just trying to get me to see the error of my ways. And I went away and thought about it. I was really pissed off at first. But actually, it allowed me to look at things a little bit differently and take some responsibility over my recovery and my addiction and 
all the hurt that I've caused other people, regardless of what had happened to me in the past, that's in the past. I can't do anything about that now. What I can do something about is where I'm going to go from here and how I'm going to manage my feelings and emotions. It was a light, a light bulb moment. It allowed me to be open in meetings, sit and listen in meetings. My barriers come down a little bit, not fully. Yeah, and it gave me confidence and trust in this guy to help me get through treatment. And he did, he really did. For years and years and years and years and years, I tried to get clean myself. And it didn't work because I wasn't open-minded, willing and honest. I just threw everything back in everyone else's faces. didn't work for me because it was always some version of my way. Yeah. Whatever way it got twisted around, it was always my idea. Yeah, That's yeah. why it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the meetings in probation, or when I got in trouble for a drinking thing with like a group of you, they said there's a lapse and a relapse. So a lapse is if you like pick up and then you go back the next day to being sober, but a relapse, I reckon, is like when you carry on. That was at about 30 by then, so I didn't know any of that then. And then I think there was Aquarius in Wolves and uh, smart groups. and But I just carried on drinking. And it wasn't until 39. It was AA. Like, uh, I got a bit of sobriety, but I was smoking crack on the New Year's Eve. So I was picking up sober keerings. And then I was picking up like other keerings at NA. Saying, well, I'm a month cleaning that. I was saying it in the meetings. Like, you know, there was a lot of fucking crackers. Like, I know, like, generally, the other night, I was yeah. like eight months clean off of drugs. Everyone went, hey, and three months clean off of alcohol. I'm saying uh-huh. it. <laughs> Where the guy in AA once he came in and he said, I'm 30 years sober, but yeah. I'm one month clean. And I said, do you know what sober actually means? He said, well, well it's just alcohol. I said, no, no, no. I was really mixed no, up. No, 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 no. I was really mixed up there. Sobriety means abstinence. There was a guy who, he'd come out with this like, tremendous share. He's in a band. He's doing acting, doing this, he's doing that. He's got this, he's got that. Going on for him, and then he go, but I'm still smoking crack, and I'm still smoking weed, but I've been sober four years. <laughs> <laughs> it just crushed your share, like. It was the second time back, like. I've had two tries, like, really. I, I was the first one, when a bit pear-shaped, and then obviously 16 months of mental health hospitals around the black country. It's really justified the other way around, though, because normally people would be like, oh, well, I've been, like, two years off the crack, but I'm still having a drink. Mm-hmm. It's very rare you hear people say, yeah, I'm completely sober, but I'm smoking crack. crack. Yeah. <laughs> I did the same, like, because my stomach fucked up on me. I was physically mashed and head to toe, spiritually, whatever you want to say. I had to pick up crack then. <laughs> that was there was the no other choice. <laughs> oh, a lot weed. Yeah. But the weed slowly just starts to die away, don't it? The weed, like. Yeah. And then it's just like. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, it was a painful experience. And then I picked up the NI book, man, on my settee. I was irritable, tired, discontent, like, you know, oh, like suicidal and looking up at the lights and then lying the other way thinking my stepdaughter can just visit me in hospital, me probably lung cancer or something or the heart. That was sort of the wish I was dreaming it, like, what I'm thinking about no one else. It was only my stepdaughter I was thinking about, what I'm thinking about my mum, dad, and, you know, they're the ones who had raised me. They've done everything for me. Well, not everything, but they brought me up anyway, reasonably well. But yeah, I had to pick up the literature and... In one way, I think I'm a slow starter because I haven't got now um, voluntary. I've been doing a bit of college, but the, the college is about me. And I think I'm going to do another six months of these courses in Faircraft and look at me. It's going to be a stress one, a resilience one. 
one of the old boys says I've got anger, which I didn't know I had. So I'm gonna work on all them. So I've gone back to basics again. I don't know, it just feels like a blank sheet. Like after the four. Really that's what I wanted. That was my goal. And probably get out of a dry house after the four. But then as I started working through the four and people started telling me about the six and the eight and the seven and the nine, then I thought, well, maybe I might need a bit more time. Because there's gonna be the amends I do on nine. And I'll get jumping a bit here, but the amends, well, I mean, just to others, it'd be to, obviously to myself. Mm. And if I'm going to amend myself, then I reckon I'll be out to live on life's terms, but we'll see. That's the whole point of the four, is to give you that blank sheet to work. Through the new association, they said they've got a voluntary coordinator. So I'm going to talk around that, because the NHS want me to go into experts by experience. And I've read up about it and there's a drop-in for a day from 10 till 4, and we do work on it, and it talks about conduct and that as well. There's a co- well obviously, every company and every association and every establishment has mm. conduct, and that really drawed me into that. And I thought, wow, that's something I, I really want to get into, that, and that's before any of the other stuff. So with that, the work I'm going to do, maybe get some voluntary around that sector, mental health and drugs, if that's where your personal experience lays, that's probably the best place. I'm saying this out loud because I think that's the way I think I should go like. But it takes time to find that stuff. And the thing we've talked about before about people thinking, oh, I should have been doing this by now. Mm. I should have got to this. Look at so-and-so. They were in treatment after me, but they're doing it. This yeah. very dangerous comparison that we can end up making with people. It's more about what works for me. It's not really about what works for everybody else because yeah. what works for Jolly Boy may not work for me. Yeah. And there's no point banging my head against a brick wall trying to do what Jolly Boy's doing. And actually, it's by taking the pace that works that we find out what we really want to do anyway. Because I see many people deciding that they want to do something and three months later they're burnt out. And I think there's an element of the tortoise and the hare in what happens in recovery. There's an element of the brightest lights going out quickest because actually it's that gradual build-up. Because when I think of the way that alcohol gradually built up on me over time, of course it was going to take something gradual to arrest that process Mm -hmm. and also to look at how I was going to manage in any way in the world and with other people without taking recourse to all the stuff that I'd done in the past. Because it's not just the taking away the substance, it's the taking away pretty much every human interaction I ever had and doing it differently. And a lot of that stuff that isn't necessarily volunteering that people can do after doing treatment, it's about engagement more than it is about having a definite goal from doing it. That's precisely what we're doing now in terms of people coming in. It's actually about engaging with something that you might not have chosen to do, that you might not have intended to do. But by engaging with other people in the process of doing something, we learn an awful lot of other stuff that we don't realise we're learning. And we discover new things. And it gives us the confidence to go on and do something else. And it takes some of us a long time to get through that. Sometimes having a plan can be counterproductive for me. Because if I've got a plan, that's pretty much... Oh, I make lists about lists about lists. Right, I've got this list. Oh, no, I need another one. Right, where's the original list? I need to make a sub-list of the second list, which is on the original list. Oh, shit, I'm confused. It's four o'clock in the morning. Why am I planning anything? 
planning. No, it never gets done. I end up going back to the planning. Says, Shit, I haven't done any of that. I've done two yeah. things on page four. Yeah. Which, where's thing, page five? The only thing I've done is make a list. And that was the first thing I needed to do on my first list, was make a list. <laughs> so I made a list. And then oh. I made another list. <laughs> I need a course on a list. It's like the build-up a list starts to come. All these exciting ideas and intuition. A list of where you keep your lists. Yeah. <laughs> I've got three of my lists in that drawer. There's a pile of lists. I've got a music that. list as well for the TikTok. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> I'll scroll through my chill FM. I'm a smooth channel. And then... I've got like that tune, that tune, and I'm writing them down, so I'll perform that one on TikTok. And then by the time I know it, that list's under there. And then there's a new list coming out. Yeah. I'm in the shower, I'm running out of the shower, all oh, that tune, I'll grab the pen. You know what I mean? <laughs> salt through, characters salt through, and you try to write down the name of the song and the writer, you know, and the singer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, but, there's organising ourselves and there's deliberately hampering ourselves yeah, with lots of procrastination around yes extra organization <laughs> that's not impulse that that's really impulse that is running out the shower log of dunny i remember dictionarying impulse and it was acting childlike or running out into the road without looking <laughs> for the old screen man <laughs> yeah i try not to plan too far ahead someone once said to me if you want to make god laugh tell him your plans like this morning i'm like right, i'm going to plan to leave early to go and pick Aaron up. I'm on time towards my plan. I get to the top of the road and they close the fucking road off again. Mm. <laughs> and I'm mm. like, right, okay. So now I have to go a different way around. Yeah, I'm just not going to make plans anymore. Not to any real degree. What I've managed to get down to, there's only ever going up to plan D at mm. the moment. So <laughs> that's down quite considerably from going all the way to plan X. It's an achievement, that. My plans are pretty much planned anyway. I've got it to a point where I know if I need to think about what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday at what times and it's the same thing over and over again which can be a bit monotonous sometimes. thing is though, Ronnie, you thrive on repetition don't you? Yeah, definitely. What happens if your plans get stunted? You know that you're going to be somewhere at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning doing a certain thing. Yeah. What happens if they close the road and the trains go on strike and your wheels of your bike fall off and one of your feet hurts and you can't get there for 10 o'clock? Wow. After my head's fallen off and I'm screaming blue eyes, <laughs> and blinding and mothered, I've worked on that because obviously it happens and I've learned to accept the things I cannot change. If I can't get to the gym, for example, on a Monday because they've decided to repaint the fucking thing like they seem to do every three months. I just don't go. And maybe I'll fit it in on the Tuesday, but there's always flexible room and stuff. But I've had to work, like that was just saying to Aaron, I've got a year plan on my wall. I can't use a diary because to look through a diary for me, for some reason, doesn't no. work. Yeah, okay. A phone diary doesn't work for no. me because it's hidden. Yeah. But on a wall, and you've got every day on there. I can look at it and go, right, do, 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 do. yeah, I need to worry on that. A full year? A full year. Wow. I looked at it this morning, actually. Yeah, the next job is actually looking at it. I do sometimes <laughs> fail to do that. <laughs> That's why I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, but I've got a calendar. I swear Chinese. Even when no, I, I haven't really. Even <laughs> in, but I've got a calendar, though. Even in active addiction, I had a wall planner. Oh, And... It's just something that I swear by. And, and looking back at it now, I mean, what we're in July, when I look at my wall planner, it's fucking rammed. Mm. I'm like, shit, how on earth did I cope without it? Like what you were saying, doing a list about a list, sometimes I know there's 
shit, I'm building up appointments and they've been sent through email, phones or WhatsApp groups or whatever and every now and again I'll go through it all and stick them all on them. And that seems to work. I think we have talked about this before on it. We have, about yeah. the dealing with the unexpected. Because mm. I think one of the things that came out from what you said previously, correct me if I'm wrong, was that you got this continuum going yeah. where you were doing similar things every day and every yeah. week. Yeah. Which actually over time, once you've got into the routine, it made it easier to cope with the day going wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, when 100%. you've got this continuous cycle going, mm. one day going wrong after six months isn't the end of the world. No. Whereas if you didn't have that cycle, things going wrong could be cataclysmic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got into a habit from when I was working in the hostels because obviously the client group that I was dealing with were really unmanageable. Most of them coming in off the streets, yeah. most of them with drug and, and alcohol issues, most of them with mental health issues. I did a Word document. Basically, it was just a load of squares on it, just date one, two, three, four, like a calendar. I just called it the monthly diary document. Mm -hmm. And I used to print one off for every client mm -hmm. and then would sit down at the beginning of the month and say, Right, what days do you do CGL? What days have you got probation? What days do you need to be at a doctor's? And just write it out for them. And then they would stick it on the back of the door. And so every morning when they left the room, they would know, Right, okay, look at today. And so when you finish the day, cross it off like you see in the films and stuff yeah yeah, yeah just yeah, cross yeah. it off so you, every time you get up and you go to leave the room you know what you're doing that day mm -hmm. and i got into the habit of doing that for people so i started doing it for myself yeah i have a folder that sits there i've got various stuff laying around with mm -hmm. stuff in but i've got this diary document and i know as soon as i get an appointment through i put it on there and then there's a point as well where when my partner and i split up because i needed to you know manage my time around seeing my daughter and manage my time around work and stuff like that because we were doing shift work so I used to do her a copy yeah. of the shift pattern so that she could see right okay he's over there this weekend this weekend and this weekend and she would know like a month in advance when I would be taking my daughter and when I would be able to pick her up from school and stuff like that and it was really helpful for me and for her I mean, when I came out of treatment, I remember, because I didn't know, you know, we talk about balance and getting things right. That didn't occur to me. I didn't know that we had to get things into a balance. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I know what I was advised to do, which was to go to three meetings a week minimum, which I had no plan on doing, actually, when I came out of treatment. No, you didn't. I went to a meeting on the back of my friend, one of my peers, saying, come on. There might be some talent there and that's why i went but yes yeah, so and it just kind of fell into place you know you where you are at the time you're meant to be there with the people you're meant to be doing the thing that you're meant to be doing and all that kind of stuff it's just literally falling into place because if you try and think and plan it doesn't work i overdid it you Massive. really overdid it and Massive. a lot of that was exposed in this room yeah it was. well in fact the other room that yeah, we were in because you were coming in quite frenetic <laughs> Saying, oh, I'm doing this computer course, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing this, and I thought, no. I was doing absolutely everything, morning till night. I couldn't even sleep. And they say that you can burn out. That's what happens in recovery to quite a few yeah. people, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, I was at the point where I can't use, don't want to use. That was when I realised my reliance on drugs and alcohol in the past. That's gone. And I know it doesn't serve me well to pick up. doesn't matter what mood I'm in, no matter how I'm feeling talking with one of the guys in the house last night about how I just ended up left with only two options in my life one was to use and the other was to basically hang myself yeah mm, and the second yeah. one got removed by the birth of my daughter because I'm like I can't do that to her so that that removed that and then I just ended up using 
and then wanting to hang myself anyway. So yeah. now I'm right yeah. back on these two choices. I was just like bouncing from one to the other, just like I can't do that. Right, fuck it. Oh, you've got no. You know I mean? When you have that realization that you haven't <laughs> got the choice to use anymore, no. and you haven't got the choice to hang yourself or whatever, because no. I had that with my family as well. Yeah. You can get suddenly a nice feeling comes over you. Yeah, well, I've had that. All right, then. It's a Damascus moment. It doesn't have to be a whole load of shining lights, wow. but it's the okay. I've been down a suicidal route. I've been down an appalling route with alcohol, whatever drugs I was using. But now I know that I'm not going to use or drink because mm. I know where that's going to end up. And I haven't got the suicidal one. I don't want that. Oh, hang on, there is another option. Yeah. And I think we don't really find step two until that moment. Until that moment. Because it's when I actually think, there is plan C. Shit, I might as well give this a go. Because a lot of what you were doing, Ronnie, whether you know it or not, was actually avoidant. Because it was, I need to be busy, I need to be busy. And you weren't the only one. Mm. There were several of you. But at some point, something broke with you with that. And I remember you coming back in and the whole thing had shifted. It was about four or five months in. Yeah, it after was. After you'd started yeah. doing this and something just shifted completely, which meant you must have had a moment like that. For me, it was like, when you say you're in denial or you're not looking at yourself, I didn't know how to look at myself. Well, either. I don't think you were in denial. I think you were just avoiding what you actually knew. But the problem I have is I don't know I'm avoiding it's like a blank page, isn't it? When you come into recovery and you stop taking drugs and you stop drinking and you're like, well, I don't know how to fucking live because I just lived the majority of my life after they stopped putting me on the potty yeah. was drugs and drink. An alcoholic <laughs> brain that's suddenly not soaked. <laughs> I've had that though. I did 90 days, I did. Yeah, I did bang on about 90 days in Wolverhampton in the flat. I'd done meetings in the day, reading, whatever, meeting on the night, come back, sat there at my dinner. And I was lying there, and I just looked up at the light, like, and I thought, oh, that'd be nice just to finish it all now. Do I have to do all this life? I, look, I looked again, and I went, fucking taking the piss, ain't ya? Do you know what I mean? Fucking mad. I just fucking jumped on the meeting and shared it, like, and shared it through the next day and that. And then when I was moving this time, I was moving everything, and I got into the bathroom, and I was like, just ended all that. I mean, that was my sort of moment of clarity. I came back into treatment. I think that's <coughs> rushing around, that is, eh? Mm. I think it can be rushing mm. around, thinking about it. Yeah. Like, and people have highlighted here now, like, that rushing around thing, I don't rush as much now, except for when I'm running. It or, stops When eventually. I'm running or jogging up and out. It takes time, but when it yeah. stops, it stops. And that's step four, slabbing in my tracks. I've got that mixed up with these different things. I, like, cut my day in half. So I'd have a morning session of going out, mm. and then I was doing a power nap, waking up and I'd be out to a meeting, or I was out to like contemporary dancing and stuff like that, up the theatre there. I found Freddie the one morning, I've gone, Fred, I don't know what to do with myself. I says, I'm absolutely fucked here. I says, there's too much to do, and I goes, I can't do it all, I can't take it. He said, get in your bed. He said, turn your phone off and get in your bed, and I went, I know, I know, he went, you know, fuck all. He said, turn your phone off and get in your bed now. So I turned the phone off. It was about 9, 10 in the morning. I turned the phone off, put it down, and I lay in the bed. And I don't know if there was anyone in the house. And I'm lying in the bed. I must have stopped in the bed for about six, eight hours. All I thought that Freddie was at the bottom of the stairs, waiting with what? Probably <laughs> <laughs> Mousley at some recovery it's group or something. Coming round you know, to fucking I, spy I, on I, 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 I get in there. And it sort of cured me. 
and then I started speeding up again. But then, when I come to my third house in the Recovery Association, I had to lie in bed because I didn't know what to do with myself. Mm. I couldn't sit there in the chair. I just had to lie in bed and I had to calm my towels. Some of it was painful, some of it was uncomfortable, but I channeled into my higher power as mm. well. I was reading, but it was a lot of just not doing nothing and looking and reflecting at the lay of the land, what I'd done in 18 months. Yeah. I had to really have some deep thought. Reflection had to stretch. so important. It's really stretching it out. Yeah. It's like now, like I finished the last two sections of the fall, the abuse and the assets. It's past itself, I don't nearly, but I'm reading it out today at the end of it. So two, three weeks has gone, and it's all stretched out now, like the abuse stuff, mm. you know. And it wasn't just physical, most of it was verbal. And even the fighting, they affect me as much as the verbal, but it's slowly, slugs, slugs, sort of stretched out now. And then I'm looking forward to the assets bit, but we've got to go through it all tonight. So one of the lads said he's take some tissue, like. <laughs> what do I want tissues for? Oh, shit! <laughs> But that's, that. that's stretching that. out, like, so I like to stretch it things out. Look at the lay of the land and all that. I really like that technique, but I could be doing an IFR voluntary job. But that's part of my mental health and recovery process. But you know. your process is your process, it's, I think. It's, that's it's just, I've just got to be prepared, yeah. like. Yeah. And you said earlier, you can't have someone else's recovery. You, you're going to find your own way and your own routine, your own structure, your own discipline yeah. around and what you do and don't do. And that's what's so important, is that we find our own process. I mean, going back to what Ronnie was saying about the doing everything, mm -hmm. is that you didn't find your own process until you did that and found out it was the wrong one. Yeah. And by the way, you've now got out of your big revelation because we've run out of time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ronnie's not going to have to say what he was threatening to say at the beginning of the thing. Well, he was trying to avoid anyway. We've actually touched on it because I actually was getting a bit paranoid whether you'd been looking through my phone or something. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is that we're bound to touch on such yeah, things. Yeah, in general, yeah. I was listening to the and editing the one we did last week. It's all about denial. I think this things to everyone. This <laughs> but seriously, we have actually run out of time. Maybe we'll go back to the clarity moments next week. But we didn't get through this article I found about the most drunk people in Europe. <laughs> Latvians. Do you know any sober Latvians? Because according to the Daily Mail, there aren't any. I don't think I've ever met a Latvian because I think they're probably all in a ditch somewhere. I've been Latvian. there. <laughs> I've been there. Latvia, Russia or Yugoslavia? Latvia used to be part of Russia. It's one of the yeah, I was there in 1990. Anyway, we will love you and leave you. If this has resonated with you in any way, concerning yourself or something you know, love, or even something you don't, then do seek help. There's plenty of it out there. And as you can hear, the examples of the recovery in this room, if you're not there yet, this could be But well, it could be. Not necessarily in this process, but in a similar process somewhere. So we'll love you again and we'll be back next week. So it's good night from me. Thanks, gents. Good night. Thank you.